Hey guys, this is our weekly podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We're so glad that you decided to join. We are a church family passionate about seeing people worship Jesus, grow in their faith, and serve those around them. If you would like to learn more about Cornerstone, please visit us at cornerstoneione.org, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. All right. Well, as you probably even just noticed right there, there's a lot of kids that go to this church. Uh, I talked to Jessica today, and I said, about how many... How many kids each week do we have over there? And there's over 40 kids between the two services that go over there. And the room we put them in is about the size of this podium. And so as you can probably tell, we've had some behavioral things happening, nothing outrageous or anything like that, but small rooms, these teachers are in there, the kids are going bonkers. And so what we have uh, developed um, is this really neat plan where we text you parents now if the kids aren't responding to the warnings. So if you get a text, it doesn't necessarily mean your kid's like a horrible kid or anything like that. Um, It's just as we try to change the culture from a jungle gym to a classroom, uh, that you might get some text and our hope is that you can just have a conversation with your kid and things like that. Uh, We had kids climbing out, well, none of them escaped. Let me just start there. No kids escaped, but we had kids attempting to escape out windows and things like that. So we gotta kind of curve that around, so. Yeah. <laughs> the screens were stronger than we thought, so that's good. <laughs> anyway, so if you get some text or something like that, that's what's going on. Uh, no need to uh, do anything severe or anything like that, but just have those conversations with the kids if you could. All right. Um, when we, we are in our series now going through the book of Acts. We went through uh, Luke, which could be considered volume one. Uh, and then Acts could be considered volume two, both uh, authored by uh, Luke, and uh, two, Theophilus. So with that information, what we're going to see is everything that Jesus had taught, son, and taught, said, and done, uh, is now we're going to see as these disciples are commissioned then to go and tell the world about what they have seen and heard uh, that the church is going to kind of, in a sense, begin as we know it. And so what we're looking for then, okay, what does this early church look like now as it takes off? And we are a couple thousand years down the road, but we can still look back. And there's a couple things that can happen. First off, the early church wasn't perfect. But it is good for us to look back and see what was going on. What was the heart of the gathering of God's people together? And what does it look like as that message then went forth? Because that message went forward to the point where you're sitting here today. I believe this. There's plenty of information I wish that would go around the world. But yet it won't because it's not true or it's not compelling. And so... One thing that I love about what happened is that as Jesus, we see that he uh, fulfilled everything the Old Testament said that would have to happen uh, for uh, the Messiah to be considered the Messiah. And he comes and he does those things. And the purpose of the Messiah is to save man from our sins and reconcile us to God because God so loved and by mercy and grace. And so he comes and he does those things to the point where he lays his life down. He gives himself up onto the cross, which is something we're going to talk about today a little bit, for us in our place. And then as he is crucified, 
The disciples and his followers scatter. And when I say followers, I mean followers. There were thousands of followers of Jesus. There were points where Jesus literally said and did things in order to kind of like separate people who wanted a free lunch from those people who were following him in the way that he wanted. So the people are like, oh, I'm just here for the, you know, for the lights and cameras and the stuff like that. I'm out of here. That they would go because the crowds were getting so large. There were times where Jesus was retreating up into the mountains to be able to pray and rest and he saw there were so many people constantly following that he would look down there and he would see people in need and it says over and over and over again in the new testament that he had compassion upon these people so then he would go back down and engage and minister to these people thousands of people were following him and then he is crucified on the cross and what we see is scattering it reminds me of a 4th of July, CJ uh, and his family was over at the house and there is, uh, we're doing some fireworks and there's a spider on the ground, large spider. So of course all of us run and CJ being the man that he is, takes care of the situation and stomps on it. As he stomps on it, we see tiny little baby spiders that were on top of that spider go scatter, right? And we were kind of like, whoa, that was disgusting. And then CJ wakes up the next morning with spider bites all up his leg. The point is scatter, though, right? They just <laughs> scattered. And then what we see, though, as 40 days afterwards, Jesus shows himself to people, and the word begins to uh, boil up again. And then uh, Jesus, as he ascends, he, he tells his disciples to wait. And we talked about the waiting and what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. We were going to talk a little bit this morning about what waiting is. But they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And so they go and they wait. And then there's a point where they have to do what Jesus said after they've waited. And what Jesus said is go and take what you've seen and witnessed and heard and share it with the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If there's a foot on a ground somewhere, you get the gospel to it. But they're told to wait. Acts chapter 1, you're going to see this essentially acted out throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What you're going to see in Acts is constantly you can come back and you can pin what's happening on that section of text right there. That's what's happening. There's going to be some natural questions that come up for you. The first one when Jesus ascended, what did the followers do? And some of us, we already know some of that answer. But that's going to be a natural question as we look at this text, which this section of text we look at this morning is going to be one typically when you've read it, you've been like, yeah, 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 moving on. Right? Let's get to chapter two. Right? But we're going to do our due diligence in chapter one here. Uh, where is Judas right now? And I'm going to explain kind of why that question kind of comes up sometimes. What's this Judas guy up to? And then lastly, what do we do with verse 26? Now, don't look. I see people looking down. Don't look yet. That's part of the fun. Just, just wait, okay? Just wait. Don't go ahead and read it. So these questions, I don't believe necessarily are the point of the text, but these are questions going to come up. And, but we are going to look at 
um, the rest of chapter one this morning, and I'm going to do my best to get us out on time just to respect the rest of your plans here. But who knows what the Holy Spirit will do, so let's pray. <laughs> Father, we sincerely thank you for a time where we can gather together and we can have two services of people and 40 kids climbing out windows and all for the sake of glorifying you and coming together with people who are like-minded. We come together with various struggles and frets and stresses and anxieties here uh, for various reasons and, then, and also people who um, have just gotten the best news of their, of their life and yet we gather together for the same purposes to give you glory for everything to worship you in everything. And God, I pray that you would bless and anoint this time and that we'd be changed uh, yet again this Sunday morning, that we would know you more and that in that we would see ourselves more clearly, but that we would not be a bunch of navel gazers that are far more concerned about ourselves, but people who are concerned about worshiping and glorifying you as King of Kings. We love you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, waiting. Uh, we don't like waiting. And I think uh, that's fairly universal, right? And typically we're waiting because something needs to wait. And so we have to wait, but we don't like waiting. So let's talk about a couple scenarios real quick to wrap our minds around waiting and, and emotionally feel what's happening, get some practical ideas of what waiting looks like. Um, there are good things we wait for that, um, that are a struggle to wait for, but we're excited about them. Uh, like a Christmas morning, right? That's like textbook waiting. It's difficult. Um, uh, first day of school. I don't think, I don't know if anybody in here is waiting for the first day of school, but you know, I, I think that, I don't know if you can go back there and think about that, but some people were like, oh, first day of school is coming. Um, I'm waiting, but I'm dreading this. Right? Or there's people like me. I thoroughly enjoyed when school was starting. Not scholastically. I hated that. But I just was like a social butterfly. I liked people. I got to see people. And I'd go and be able to spend with, time with my friends for, you know, six hours a day. And then afterwards, you know, there were sports and different things that you could do. And, like, I just enjoyed that. And so I, first day of school, I was, I was excited about it. Some of my friends were more excited about that first day of school. And I don't know if you were one of these people, but you guys somehow ended up with new clothes. Right? My new clothes back to school was like after Christmas, but some of you guys do this like uh, first day of school shopping scenario. Uh, God bless you for that, but that wasn't really my world necessarily. You guys would show up where you can see like the shirt was folded like 40 minutes ago, but you show up to school, you know, all pumped up for that. And um, so, and there's just excitement, right? And the reason why, why are you wearing new clothes to school, right? There's, you're waiting for something. You thought about it beforehand. You didn't go buy the shirt that morning on the way to school. There, you were thinking about it before and, you, and you're excited about it for one reason or another. Or the crippling anxiety causes you to try to cover it up with new clothes, but we won't go to that, okay? Uh, what about the weekend? Some of us like look forward to that weekend. What's really sad is when you when the people on go to work on Monday and they're like, I can't wait for Friday, right? Because that's a long time to wait, especially when you got to get up and do that same thing over and over again. But that waiting for something special, I think that uh, largely people have um, a universal excitement over vacation plans. Where you plan a cool vacation and you're jacked and pumped for it, and you got to wait for all that planning to take place. For me, I have uh, several emotional issues. One of them is showing excitement well because I don't feel uh, the excitement boiling up in me like it does for others. Um, I literally admire people that can they put together a plan and they are just pumped to the max about that plan. Uh, for me, I remember there was a time my parents were telling me uh, they planned this trip to Jamaica. 
and uh, my and, and this is how it kind of went down. Uh, my mom called the family down to sit on the couch, and so we all come in the room. She's like, "Okay, sit on the couch," and I'm thinking like, "Oh no." Either this is really good or really bad, right? When you're sitting kids down on a couch, like you're either getting a spanking or you're going on vacation. Something's happening there. And uh, I could, and I sit down, I could see my mom. She is like buzzing to the max. She is, she is pumped. She's like, okay, kids, come on, like sit down on the couch here. Come on, get in here. Put that down. Sit on the couch. Sit on the couch. I got good news for you. And she is pumped about it. My dad, she gets, and, and I've seen this as an adult. I get this more now. But you're excited. She gets like my dad, like arm in arm. Okay, we have an announcement for you. There's something going to happen here. Okay. Uh, and she's, you know, engaging with my dad. And my dad's like, this is very cool. Yeah. And, uh, and then she's, and she, she gets really close. She's like, okay, so we, we planned a vacation. You know, and, and so we're like, okay, where are we going? And now keep in mind, this doesn't mean good news yet for us. Because sometimes our vacation was driving for like 14 days on our way to uh, Iowa to see cornfields for half of that. Okay, <laughs> which we love our grandparents, but that's not necessarily the vacation that really excites myself. So uh, she, she gets arm around with my dad standing there and you can see excitement. She can barely keep the words and she's like, we're going to Jamaica. And I remember immediately feeling like, oh no. I know it's exciting, but I can tell my mom's looking for something, right? She wants that reciprocated. And so I muster up every ounce of excitement in me, and I go, yes! And that's kind of where it ends there. And uh, uh, my mom, she literally was like, you know, I took the wind out of her sails. But for her, she will literally, she has so much excitement over this and the waiting just cripples her. She will create problems to fix, to stay involved in the planning and excitement of a trip. Because we just hate waiting. There's another, uh, another side of this is waiting for bad things, right? Or bad or good things or more emotionally heavy things, right? They're still waiting. And even on that side, it's still difficult. Uh, there's a Netflix documentary on this now, but Steven Steiner, he was seven years old. He was walking home from school, and um, a man named Kenneth Parnell abducted him. He was a pedophile, and he abducted him, and the parents realized uh, that Steven never came home from school, and they kind of let some time go by. Maybe, you know, he got distracted or something, but he never ended up coming home. So they do end up calling the police, and there's a search involved, and they're canvassing the area, and they just cannot find this kid. They're looking for various... Uh, clues and witnesses and things like that and they're not able to find him they uh kenneth parnell takes him out of the county to a different area and to kind of more of a desolate area um, but he still does keep him in school but he teaches him essentially your parents didn't want you they couldn't afford you they let me have you and i'm going to raise you i don't care for you mind you he's a pedophile and abuses this kid the whole time and teaches him that's normal and so he gets in, he's in high school now, and teachers don't pick up on it in the documentary. You see, they kick themselves over it, but they don't pick up on any of that stuff. And, and Stephen really keeps his cards close on what he's experiencing at home and how he feels about things. And, um, but when he's 14 years old, Kenneth kidnaps another child named Timothy. Now, when Stephen sees Timothy enter the house, uh, Kenneth tries to tell him, oh, you know, same thing. His parents couldn't afford him, and we're just taking him. And at this point, uh, uh, Stephen can't really hide the truth anymore that he already knows. And so at night, he takes Timothy, and he runs away and to get away from Kenneth because he's, he wants to protect Timothy. And he ends up uh, getting to a police station, and the police call mom and dad and say, hey, we found your kid seven years later. 
the part I want to talk about waiting is the car ride from your house to go get your kid. I cannot imagine what that's like. Because we want it now. And although I don't think that in that scenario, that's a bad desire. Um, in the Bible, we see a lot of waiting. And in the Bible, um, when we see waiting, we know it's intentional. Right? Because does God have to wait? No. Could He do things whenever He wants? Yes. So then when we are in a situation where we have to wait, that's because God has allowed or caused us to wait. Um, the Israelites waited, wandered 40 years in the desert for various reasons. Abraham and Sarah, you guys hear that story? Uh, Sarah's promised a child and she is old. The Bible says she's old, so I'm not just you know, attributing that to her. I'm preaching the Bible right now. She is, she is old, and she gets to the point that age matters because she begins to literally think, like, I'm going to be too old soon. She's already thinking there's a point where there's laughter. Like, I'm, this can't happen. You've, been telling, you've told me this, and you've told me this, and now I'm waiting. I'm too, I'm too old for this. This will never happen. And so what she is told to do is wait. And does she wait? No, she comes up with her own plan. Um, her own plan is, well, God says that we're going to have this child, and I don't see how this is going to work because of these practical implications. So Sarah then comes up with a plan. Sarah's plan is, Abraham, I want you to go sleep with our servant. She's younger. I mean, like, I mean as we can know, we're like, that's not the right plan. That's not the right plan. The right plan is to wait. And I think by the end, what I want us to do, by the end, what I want us to do is be able to look back and see what waiting looks like and why that went awry in several of these scenarios. But this, Abraham and Sarah might be the easiest one to look back on. David waited 15 years to be king. We see several moments of waiting. I mean, even Paul in the New Testament, you see him in prison uh, where you would think that he would be waiting to be delivered. If I got thrown in prison because I'm preaching this sermon here, there would be a part of me that I keep having this sneaking suspicion that God's going to deliver me from this because I was so obedient to preach his word and I got thrown in prison. He will surely deliver me from this. Two years in prison. John the Baptist Really, there's a point, and we won't go into this one on time, but there's a point where I really believe that what the Bible is communicating is that uh, John the Baptist really believed he was going to be delivered at some point. But they're, they're waiting. And there's bunches of other examples. And then not only do we see examples of people waiting, but we are taught in the Bible about waiting. And that it is, that it is good. And that we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to wait. Now, I think that part of the tensions is just revealed in what we already know now by the examples given, right? We don't like to wait. So what does God do? He says, wait. <laughs> right? Because I think it produces something. I think it exposes something. But what I want to do is I want to read Psalms 27. What you're going to see is David explain a situation, his emotional condition, practical uh, events, uh, what uh, King David has asked of God, what King David would like God to do, what he believes and knows about God. You're going to see all of that. And then there's going to be something at the end here. 
And I think at the end what we're going to see is he's like, this is my situation. This is how I feel about it. This is what I believe about God. This is what I'm asking of God. And now that all that is there, this is what I will do. So let's look at that. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will not hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have, made, who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a path that is level because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And the more you know about David the more you know where he's at in this. And in the end, he says this, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's an honorable thing, although difficult, but it's honorable. It's a Christian thing to wait upon the Lord. Why? What does waiting on the Lord require? What does it expose? For the sake of time, I think what we're drilling down to is that waiting on the Lord takes patient, confident trust. And in that, what it does is as we begin to try to take control of things, because we think we know how things have to go, when we have a timeline, we see needs and things like that, we want to go and do these things. And he says, wait, what it causes us to do is have to submit to the king of the universe again, to have patient, confident trust in the Lord. Now, I used this, this, I attempted this first service, went horrible. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to say something, and I just want you to finish my sentence. Okay? And I'll, I'll give you this. It's a commercial for a food that I had thought we would all be on the same page with. So if you hear it and you think you know what it is, say it, and if not, we'll move right along awkwardly like I did last service. Okay? Hungry, why wait? Grab a... Yes, thank you. Yes. Yes, okay, perfect. 
Our culture around us, and this is a stupid example, but our culture around us knows we don't want to wait for something. And it's not demonized in our culture either. It's just a reality of who we are. Maybe it's thought of um, a successful trait in us that we don't like to wait. We want to have it now. We want to work hard. We want to get it. We want to do it. Now, one thing I don't want to do, I'm going to use this example, and I have to use exception clauses a lot because some people will think that sometimes what I don't say is louder than what I do say, so I'll just be clear. I don't, I don't care if you use credit cards or not. Whatever. Do you, right? Uh, I, like, I don't have any issue with people using those. However, I do believe, and I've talked to a friend who worked in credit line business, and they absolutely love people's impulsiveness because you want something, right? And you're like, oh, darn it, I don't have the money for it. And then somebody's like, well, yeah, you do. This is what we'll do. You use the money, you get the thing that you want. I'll just put a small little interest rate on it. Tiny little interest rate, say 23%. Not a big deal. Okay? And, and then you can have it right now. And we have two options. One option is save for what feels like an eternity and then buy it. Or buy it with somebody else's money and then pay a slight tiny little interest rate of 23%. Now I realize, so just to clarify again, uh, I have no problem with credit cards. There's plenty of great reasons to use them and all that stuff. I'm just saying that sometimes they may be catering to somebody who's more impulsive. They really are able to uh, work that well. The person who uses their credit card and then pays it off each month isn't a huge, is not a huge help to those uh, companies. But there are maybe a few of us that maybe accidentally get ourselves into trouble and then that 23% hits. And what they're counting on is impulsiveness, right? Um, our world knows that we don't like waiting. Our God knows we don't like waiting. And when we read the Bible, what frightens me sometimes is when I read through it, I'm like, there's a lot of times where God says, wait, wait, not yet. I'm not going to give you this answer yet. Like, right? And there's this waiting involved. Um, to further illustrate what I think happens when there's something where waiting doesn't seem tremendously heavy sometimes. It's just something that is difficult for us. You guys know what I mean? Like it's not tremendously heavy that we have to wait sometimes, but it, it is difficult for us. And there was a PE class, I remember I was in junior high, um, the, our PE teacher came out, they had, uh, you know the thing you hang your clothes on? It's like a wooden dowel. It's like one inch in diameter. Um, it was about that long, and they tied a rope to it that was probably about four feet long, and then they tied a weight down to the end of that, like some little five-pound little baby weight thing on there or something. And he gets up in front of the whole PE class, right? And he says, hey, I have a challenge for you guys, anybody who would like to take it, and this is it. You're going to hold this out like that. You have to keep your arms straight, and all you have to do is you just twist that little dowel like that until the, the rope winds up on it, and it brings that weight up. When the weight touches the dowel, just let it back down. You can't let it spin down, let it back down. And then you, I can't remember how many, what the rep count was, right? Eight times or something like that. And I'm like, <laughs> five pounds, eight times? I could do that in my sleep. So of course, young dumb Brian runs over there, picks this thing up, and I remember the first time, easy peasy, right? Arm straight, I'm like five pounds. This is exactly what I thought it was. Then there's all these little tiny squirrel-sized muscles all over in your arms that you didn't know you have and you never use them. And then the trick was, though, that you're using those muscles. It's light. It's not that difficult. But over and over and over, and pretty soon, you can't even hold that thing out anymore, right? It's difficult. It's causing you to work out. You're gaining strength in the end because you're working those same muscles out. Although not, not super heavy, there's something that's doing. It's producing something. It is working you out. 
And I think that this weight has that effect on us where we're like, hey, um, there's a time where we got to wait in life, whatever that is. You think about it, God uh, has you in a certain place of your life. There's things we got to wait for. And in our mind, we look at it, we're like, that can't be that hard. But in the middle of waiting, we begin to see things exposed, right? The little squirrel muscles that are being worked out that we didn't know we had. And I think that those things include trust, patience, confidence in the Lord, submission, humility. All of these things begin to be worked out in that. So, spoiler alert, I think that's part of the reason God uses weight. And, I mean, yeah, the, uh, us waiting, in addition to... He's the king of the universe and we're not, right? I think when we frame things in that, it's a lot easier to understand these things. Waiting surrenders you. It tests your faith, your hope, your love, your strength. It reveals and exposes your allegiance. Waiting uh, put a bright beam of light hyper-focused on your poverty, poverty and desperate longing for the Spirit. Your poverty for the Spirit. Your longing for the Spirit. Is it there? What do we see? There's a light on it now. It's a light on do you care about the things of God. Charles Spurgeon said this about standing still and waiting. Keep the posture of an upright man, ready for action, expecting further orders, cheerfully and patiently awaiting the directing voice and it will not be long before God shall say to you as distinctly as Moses said to the people of Israel go forward if the Lord Jehovah makes us wait let us do so with our whole hearts for blessed are all they that wait for him he is worth waiting for the waiting itself is beneficial to us. Now, this is the working out thing. It tries our faith. People have always been a waiting. The Lord's people have always been a waiting people. Waiting on what? Many of us are waiting on something for something. We're waiting on the Lord for his will. That's what's uniquely Christian about our waiting. John Piper says this, to wait on God means to pause and soberly consider our own inadequacy and the Lord's all-sufficiency. If we were to pause there, there is something that just punched right into the heart of man of why we don't like to wait at times. And that is because it, it makes us consider our own inadequacy in comparison and contrasting the Lord's all-sufficiency. And it makes us realize that we are in need of God. And to seek counsel and help from the Lord and to hope in Him. The folly of not waiting for God is that we forfeit the blessings of having God work for us. God's work in us. God's working through us and for us. The evil of not waiting on God is that we oppose God's will to exalt Himself in mercy. Waiting is what the disciples were doing in this upper room. And I don't want us to miss that this wasn't just, it would be different if they're like, we're just waiting because we're, we're kind of like, we're brainstorming. Okay, Jesus just left. Now we're like, okay, the leader's gone. What do we do now? Because what happened is, remember this, Jesus said, I must go. There's something that I'm going to send that is better. It's the Spirit now, and here's the mission. The mission is go. It is do these things. It is spread the gospel. The mission is big. It's like, if this is the earth, you're here, and the gospel needs to go like this. 
And I'm giving that mission to you guys to do that and to accomplish that. And they're pumped, ready to go, because they're seeing Jesus risen from the dead. And he's ascending into the clouds. And there's an image of them looking for Jesus, even though he's already got, gone. They're straining. And then there's, there's angels there that come and speak to them. And they're told, though, to wait. Right? So interesting. So much to do. Such great news. It's life-changing. It's world-changing. They're in an environment where you're going to go and you're going to spread this good news to the world. There's going to be people that accept it and their life is changed. Their eternity is changed. And then there's going to be people on the other hand that hear and say, I don't like that. That's hate speech. That offends me. And you're going to be killed for it. And they're going out into that. And they're being called out to that. But Jesus says, wait for the Spirit. Just wait for the Spirit. Because they're all going to be like probably like you and I would be. They're going to be jacked to the max, right? And they want to haul out there and go get the job done. But Jesus is saying, you need the power of the Spirit to do this the way that I want. I will it to be done. So wait. So the question comes and hits you and you're like, but why wait? And I'm not questioning God as if like he did something wrong. What I'm doing is like God is the king of the universe and he wants him to wait. What happens when we wait? Well, hopefully the puzzle pieces I set up for the last 15 minutes have beginning to fall in place there. What happens when you wait? The things we just talked about. Those are things that they need and they're waiting for the spirit then to go and fulfill this mission. Let's go ahead and move on. Let's get to our passage. Acts chapter 1 verses 12 through 14 says this, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. Going to stop there for a second. Not that this is important. We just hit some really big things, so I feel like I'm changing the course of the sermon a bit. There's some details I just want to point out. The half a mile thing is on a Sabbath day's journey, it has to be less than a, right around 0.6 miles. They're just pointing out that the, the, the amount of uh, distance they walked was okay for the time of day they're in. Okay? So they walk um, a distance of a half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room or the upper room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Now listen. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. One question the Bible nerds might have is like, is this upper room like the upper room? And we don't know. So uh, as much as it'd be fun to kind of like, ooh, the connections of the upper room over here and the upper room here and the upper room here would be really cool. We just don't know for sure. But there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a likelihood that this upper room we keep seeing is the same upper room. Uh, but we just don't know for sure if it's the same upper room as John 14. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus, uh, no, Mary, mother of Jesus, is mentioned being with them right here. What you will see is that this is the last time you hear of Mary, the mother of Jesus in Scripture. Why is that important? I think the kids are escaping out the windows right now. Check your phones. <laughs> so why does, why does that why does that? matter because what we don't see is statues of Mary being built by these people 
Um, we don't see them worshiping Mary. We don't see them praying to Mary as a mediator. We, they're not saying that Mary is infallible or that she is innocent or that she is the source for forgiveness. What we see is that she's the mother of Jesus. And then people worship Jesus. And then people uh, pray to Jesus as mediator between us and the king of the universe. Jesus is the center of this, which is important. They were waiting. The question, one of the questions is, what were they doing while they were waiting? And I'm going to give the disclaimer right now. What I'm about to say, I'm not demonizing these other things I'm going to list. I'm just saying these weren't things they were were, uh, considering for the sake of drawing our attention to what was important to them in a moment such as this. What they weren't doing when they were waiting was playing video games. They weren't watching The Office. They weren't watching Gilded Age, Ozark, Yellowstone, Love It or List It, Flip or Flop, House Hunters, Dream Home Makeover, or Paradise Island. They weren't putting out pallets of food and snacking. They weren't getting into their tan on or figuring out their BMI. I'm not demonizing any of those things, but these people had a passion, a perseverance, a preoccupation for something else entirely in this moment. A desperate desire, a longing for something promised, something needed, and it drew them to something. It drew them to something that was a far too endangered act for Christian people, and that is constant prayer together. Constant prayer together. They were praying very regularly, and they were together and for me, as we read through uh, Luke and we read through Acts and you even take into consider the entirety of Scripture, we cannot get over the importance of prayer together regularly. It's interesting how many times you will see that throughout Scripture where we are designed by the God of the universe to be together. And when there's times of waiting... What, what gathers us together, what brings us together, what bonds us together, the way we're designed is to be together and praying and be and regularly doing those things. And what I see is that that is something that is an endangered activity among Christians. And we all find our different ways of how we wait and what we do with that. And I think that it's misleading, just to be completely honest. As, I, as I'm able to meet with you in my office and we talk over coffee and we have lunches together and things, like we talk through this stuff and we know it, we share it together. I'm with you in the same struggle of that when we are waiting in good times and in bad, when we're waiting upon the Lord, submitting to Him and trusting Him. And in those moments, we have ways of coping with that waiting that aren't constant prayer together. But I think as you, just for the sake of time, summarizing this whole thing, you go through Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament and you see that there's this pattern of waiting upon the Lord, being together with other followers of Jesus, and praying together over those things. Let's go ahead and read that second part, and we'll wrap this up. During this time, 
When about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who had guided those who arrested Jesus. And the point there is that it was prophesied actually in Psalm 69 as well as Psalms 109 verse 8 that Jesus was going to be betrayed by one of his own. And so that had to be fulfilled and that was Judas that did that. And so it was fulfilled. And then check it out. It says, this was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit. So this is very important. This is going to be one of the clearest passages you ever see about the inspiration of Scripture, about how God got His Word onto these pages for us. Listen to this. It says that this was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit. So then how did we get it here? It says, speaking through King David. That's an example that's described right there about how inspiration is working that the Holy Spirit wrote this and predicted this through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery, treachery falling headfirst there. His body split open, spilling out all of his intestines. The news of his death spread to all people of Jerusalem and they gave the place the Aramaic name, Akadama, which means field of blood. So what we have here. Judas, earlier above, it says that Judas, in verse 13, that he's there among them, and then in verse 18 says that he's dead. Quick note, just so we're all clear, uh, there's a Judas, uh, which is a brother of James, son of, son of James, and then there's Judas Iscariot, two different people, Jude and Judas. Jude, Judas, brother, son of James, is alive and well and part of the twelve. And then there's Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. And then he went and he hanged himself and either hanged there for a long time, swelled up, split open, intestines comes out and falls on the ground. Or he hung himself, was over a cliff, and then eventually rope broke or other things happened and he fell and split open there. But that is what happened to uh, Judas. Then verse... Let's skip down to verse 26. We ask what happened in verse 26. They cast lots. And Matthias was selected to become an apostle of the other eleven. Very quickly and simply, the issue is they need to replace Judas, right? And so we're like, oh, how did they do that? They prayed and God uh, convicted their heart about which person it should be. All unanimously, they said, one, two, three, say his name. And they said, Matthias. That's not what happened. They literally cast some dice, and, and the answer of the dice revealed who uh, was to be the person that would replace Judas. And we don't do that, right? Prescription or description? Is that prescribing? Like, get some dice, let's figure this out. And so, hey, we need a new small group leader. These are the people that fit the credentials from uh, verses 21 through 22. Uh, let's put them in a row. Okay, you're going to be number one, you're going to be number two, all the way to six. Let's roll the dice, let's see who it is. Are we going to do that? Now, are you going to pick how big your family is? Are you going to roll dice over that? No way. That's where Ellen and I went wrong. We rolled dice. Okay, you got a five. No, we don't do that. It's, it's description. It's describing what had happened. And just, to, just to, uh, to ease us a bit on what was happening, they're like, why are these disciples doing something so flippant? Let me go back and just for the sake of time, Proverbs 16, read that. Remember Jonah chapter 1, Leviticus, so in the book of laws, Leviticus 16, Nehemiah 10. It was a practice that was essentially allowed by God for them to know the will of the Father. 
and that is described and how that's uh, how that was that practice was used, still used by the uh, disciples. And uh, and and so now, what do we do? Um, do we still use dice to figure those things out? No, I believe that uh, we use His Word that has been laid out for us in the power of the Holy Spirit, all confirmed by His Word. So. Uh, where, where do we get here at the end? I want to challenge us about the waiting. We know they had to replace Judas, right? Jesus, Jesus picked 12 for a reason, 12 tribes, 12 uh, disciples, and it's on and on and on. 12 is important. They replaced them. There's some cool conversation around how Paul fits into that, but we don't have time for that. But he had to replace them, so they replaced them. But there's something else there. There's something that we see the disciples in constant prayer together. When they're in their time of waiting. My challenge to you is this. Because it's not just here. It's all over in the Bible. I explained several different instances where it's in Scripture. I want to challenge Cornerstone and followers around the world. That when we are in a place of waiting on the Lord and submitting to Him. That we find ourselves in constant prayer. That is where we go. That's our instinct. is constant prayer together. And I think that that strengthens these little muscles in the followers of Jesus. So with that, let's go ahead and pray and worship the Lord in song. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenges here we, uh, that we're able to take a closer look at. And although many of us know if somebody said, what should we do when we're waiting on the Lord? Somebody would say pray. But it's so absent from our lives at times. Convict our hearts in these times of waiting to be praying, as we read in Psalms 27. There's worries, there's anxieties, there's these fears, there's these difficulties, and yet there's truths we know about who you are. And then we call upon you as that God that we know with requests, and then we submit to your will and your timing and waiting and prayerfully considering things. And we will wait upon you. Father, we love you. I pray that you'd be glorified even down to the last breath of this song that we sing. And in Jesus Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We hope that you found it encouraging and challenging. Please feel free to share this podcast with friends and family, and we will see you all next week.